do you make of the thought of being God's child? Of having God as your heavenly Father? How much does this thought affect your worship, your prayers, your whole outlook on life, as Packer puts it? How much does this thought dominate your thinking about everything? How much does it shape your behavior? And as we get ready to celebrate Thanksgiving, I ask, how high is the fact of your adoption, of your being God's child, how high is that on the list of things you're thankful for? This morning, I would like to read for you the words of a man who surely made much of the thought of being God's child. He never got over the thought of being chosen by God and placed into his family. This reality not only shaped his life, but it also affected his entire ministry. Having come by the grace of God to an understanding of the glorious reality of being God's adopted child, he spent much of his ministry instructing and praying that those to whom he ministered, those who have also believed the same gospel that he believed and preached, would understand and see with eyes of faith the wonderful reality of being God's adopted sons and daughters and live lives that increasingly reflect their identity. Listen to what he writes to the church of Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him... We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, 
making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, the praise, the praise of His glory. This morning I would like to draw your attention to the wonderful blessing of adoption as it is set forth in the text that we just read. And I want to focus primarily on verses 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6. Obviously, we're going to be looking at the entire text. As you probably know, verse 3 to 14 is one complex sentence. So we'll be making reference to the whole text. But I really will be focusing on verse 5 and 6, where it says, In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. And what I'd like to do this morning is highlight four truth from this verse that pertain to our being adopted as children of God. Then we will close by looking at a few practical implications of this great doctrine. What does it mean? Now then, so what? We are adopted as children of God. What does it mean for our lives Monday through Sunday. What difference should it make? My prayer and hope is that God would use His Word to help us gain a much greater appreciation for the glorious privilege of being His children. That we would not just understand it in our mind, in our head. But as Paul prays, that the Spirit of God would open the eyes of our heart. The eyes of our heart. So that we would be grasped at the deepest level of our being by this glorious blessing. That we would not just know and be able to talk about it and define it, but it would be absolute reality for us. That we would be totally lost in wonder at the fact that we are now children of God. That we would be transformed by this great reality. First thing we want to see this morning 
is the motive for our adoption? What is it that moved God to adopt us as His sons and daughters? People adopt children for various reasons. Some adopt because maybe their children have gone older and the house is empty. And they feel they want company. They need something. And they go and adopt children. Some may adopt even out of guilt. By seeing children who are suffering, I need to do something. Some adopt because they just fell in love with a little orphan child and that cute, adorable little baby was just, broke their heart and they, I just need to bring this little one home with me. Why did God decide to adopt us? Verse 5 says, In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself, to Himself as sons. One word. Love. God's love. Agape. A word that was virtually unknown during New Testament times, but that the New Testament writers, in trying to set God's love apart from any other love, came up with this word. The gods of the Greco-Roman world did not know agape love. Rather, they were accredited with lusting after women. Never with loving sinners. God's agape love is a love that did not have see in the object anything necessarily attractive or lovely. God's love, as we read here and in other places in the New Testament, is one that has as its object not those who are lovable, not those who have anything in themselves to evoke or awaken any goodwill on the part of the lover. Rather, God's love has as its objects undeserving, rebellious, guilty sinners who deserve nothing but the wrath of a holy and righteous God. My brothers and sisters, Spiritually, we were not cute, adorable orphans in the sight of God. We were not cute little orphans who were mere victims of difficult circumstances. Listen to how the Apostle Paul later in this letter, describe our condition before Christ. Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 7, it says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, 
following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Did you hear it? Who were the object of God's agape love? The Bible tells us spiritual corpses. Dead in the trespasses and sins. Not those who made occasional mistakes, but those who walked in trespasses and sins. Those who were in slavery to the world, the devil and the flesh. Those who were, as it says, following the course of this world. Those who are following the prince of the power of the air, the devil. Those who are following the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Look at the designation, sons of disobedience. Essentially, those who are rebels toward God. Those who hated God and therefore were not objects of adoration, objects of wrath. But we read in verse 4 that, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. In the book of Romans, Paul makes the same point, Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8, for while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then he continues, as if we don't get that. He says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love. Note, he says his love, his agape love, not his fondness, not his liking of us, but God shows his love for us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, that we would be astonished, my brothers and sisters, at the amazing love that moved our Heavenly Father to make us His sons and daughters, that we, like the Apostle John, would say continually, See, behold, like King James Version has it, what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. See, for the Apostle Paul, John, this love was so foreign to anything that he knew. So he came with that term. Of what country? That's what the term literally means. What kind? What, of what country? This is not common. We don't see this. Of what 
country has this love come from that caused a father to pour out, to show us favor that he did not just sprinkle, but he lavished his love on us by making us his children. Are you astonished at this as well? Or do we feel like God loving us is just a matter of course? Do we, like that French philosopher, just like he says, well, it is God's job to forgive. Oh, well, it is God's job to love me. Cute, nice, lovable, respectable. Or maybe not them, but me. Pray that we would never get beyond this great thought. That would never get to the point where we are no longer astonished. We are to be astonished at this. This reminds me of David in the Old Testament when he wanted to build a house for God. And what did God do? I will build your house. An eternal house. And David had the same response. What manner? Of grace is this. Same idea. That God loving us is not a matter of course. It is not. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast indeed it is. How vast beyond all measure. Why? That He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as Son. God's love. Nothing in us. His love in us is the motive for our adoption. There's more. The text also tells us that our adoption was not an afterthought. So we want to take a few moments and now reflect on the planning of our adoption. And the point we want to make here is that our adoption was planned by our triune, our triune God long before creation itself. It was not an accident. It was not an afterthought. God's plan involved, number one, the object of adoption, whom He would adopt. And number two, the means of adoption. God planned, He decided whom He would adopt and also how He would do it. First, the objects of adoption in love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons. Let's go back to verse 4. As you know, as I've said earlier, it is one single, one complex sentence from verse 3 to verse 14. So we, we have to look at this section in the, in the context of the whole. 
So going back to verse 4 is not only helpful, it is necessary. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him, in love He predestined, or having predestined, it's a participle, having predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. And the word used here to translate the verb predestinate has to do with marking, with a boundary, beforehand. And it is used here as a, as a participle, as a causal participle, giving the reason for God's election. That election was not an end in itself. God elected us for adoption. He chose us for adoption. He had a destiny in view when He chose us before the foundation of the world that we would be His very own children. Way before you and I were on this earth, it wasn't that God looked and said, Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Thomas is not a bad guy. I like him. Not so. God decided He chose us. He elected us to make us His sons and daughters for the foundation of the world. It was not an afterthought. It was not even conceived after the fall. It's not like it didn't happen now. Well, it happened a long time ago. No, it wasn't even conceived after the fall. It's not like God had a plan Plan A, and plan A failed at the fall, and God found himself saying, mm, scratching, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Oh, 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 let's see. What about mm, sending an angel? Oh, no, it won't work. Sending Jesus? Oh, we'll do this. Yeah, we'll forgive of their sins, but that's all, nothing else. Before creation itself, God had conceived a plan to redeem fallen, rebellious sinners and make of them his sons and daughters as a demonstration of his great love for them. He had you and me in mind, in view. Paul was writing to real people at Ephesus. God predestined us, you, me. How does that strike you this morning? That before you and I became aware of God, God knew us and He chose us. If you are a child of God, it is not an accident. I remember being in little Haiti, tiny little town, insignificant town, even by Haitian standards. Child little boy, going to church, could barely say anything, and going to an evening service, and hearing the gospel. 
from a church that was founded by American missionaries. They went. Church was founded. And I heard the gospel. And I could not resist. And responded. Why? It's God had chosen me. From before the foundation of the world, and there is nothing that would thwart his plan, he would put everything in motion to make it happen. And if you are here, it is a result of a plan that was set forth and that God has carried out. No accident at all. No accident at all. But it wasn't that God planned, thought of the objects. He also thought of the means. He thought of the means of our adoption. It says in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. How? Through Jesus Christ. Our adoption as sons was through Jesus Christ. Why Jesus Christ? It is only through union of Christ that all of the gospel blessings, including adoption, can be ours. Listen. Listen to the words again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us how? In Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood. Verse 11, in Him we have obtained an inheritance. Verse 13, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believe in Him and seal the promise, Holy Spirit. It is through faith in Christ, the eternal Son of God, the Son of God who succeeded where Adam had failed, the one who, who in His living perfectly obeyed the law of God for us, the one who in His dying on the cross fully paid for our sins, the one whom God raised from the dead for our justification, having accepted his offering for sins. The one who ascended to heaven and who seated at the right hand of God interceding for us. It is only through union with Christ that we can have a new status, a new standing before God. So in Christ... We no longer stand before the Father as rebels, as sons of disobedience, but rather as saints, faithful sons of God, heirs with Christ. All happens with faith in Christ. He came to His own and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In Galatians 3, verse 26 to 28, the Apostle Paul writes this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. 
For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He continues in the next chapter. But when the fullness of time had come, what did God do? God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, and listen to this, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Did you see it? Jesus accomplished His redemptive work at the cross so that we might receive Adoption as sons. There is no other way for us to become children of God. There is no other way. Those of you who have adopted children certainly had to plan. Had to plan a lot of things. The Bible tells us that God, our Heavenly Father, had a plan as well. It was conceived before the foundation of the world. And his plan was carried out in time, at the right time, at the appointed time, through his son. As he died on the cross, and he redeemed us by his blood, he made our adoption possible. Have you placed your faith in Christ? And if you have, the Bible makes it clear, then you are a child of God. And if you've not, call on Him even now. Call on Him now. The Bible says, to those who believe in His name, He gives the right to become children of God. This morning you came you have different statuses. Maybe all you can see, I'm a father of this person, I'm an American, I'm this and I'm that. But the Bible makes it very clear that if you look to Christ as your Savior, you trust Him, you place in Him, you'll be a child of God. Look to Him, call on Him, even today. We're not done yet. The question is, and that we want to move to our next point. What is, that we want to look at next, is what is the basis of our adoption? What is the ground of our adoption? We've looked at the motive, the planning. What about the ground of our adoption? What is its foundation? At the end of verse 5, we read that our adoption as sons was according to the purpose of His will. Or as the, new, as the King James Version puts it, according to the good pleasure of His will. Our adoption is grounded, brothers and sisters, in God's sovereign will. 
in God's sovereign will. The idea here is that God's act of electing us, of marking us for adoption, is the result of His free and sovereign will. God was not under any obligation to love us. The people to whom Paul was writing were very familiar with this idea of people doing things for the gods so that the gods in turn would be obligated to do something for them. Not so with our God. He does not need anything from us. He has no obligation to show us His kindness. His kindness his act of loving us, of bestowing His love on us, is totally free. It is of grace, as J.I. Packer says, the grace of God is love freely shown toward guilty sinners, contrary to their merit, and indeed in defiance of their demerit. It is God showing goodness to persons who deserved only severity and had no reason to expect anything but severity. God adopted us because He chose to set His love on us. It's His will. No obligation, nothing in us moved Him. Lastly, what about the goal of our adoption? What is it, what is it that God wants to see happen ultimately through our adoption? In verse 6 we read that, all of the blessing that we've received in the gospel, all of the blessing that are ours in Christ, including adoption, are to be to the praise of His glorious grace. Our being marked out by God from before the foundation of the world to be His children is so that we would praise Him. It's not that we would become arrogant and boast of anything that we've done, it's not that we would look down at other people. And I would say it's not that we would just spend time arguing and showing how much we know, none of that. But it is for His glory. The whole tone of the text is doxology. The entire tone of this text is doxology. Heartfelt doxology. So when we think of our new status in Christ as God's children... The proper response is not at all to pat ourselves on the back as though there was something good in us that moved God as though we are better than others. Rather, the proper response is to sing the wonders of God's grace. As those who are debtors to the grace of God, we want to pray and sing, Come, thou fount of every blessing, Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. They call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet. Song by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it. Mount of thy redeeming love. Sin, the motive for adoption. The planning that was involved in our adoption, the ground, the goal for our adoption. Now, what does that mean for us as we 
interact with one another, as we leave this place and go tomorrow to our jobs, as we do all of the things that come with living on planet Earth. I'd like to mention very, very, very quickly six things, and I will go fast. The blessing of our adoption could, should continually give us cause for praise and thanksgiving. First thing. Again, if just read this text again, and that's the tone. He's a man who's never gotten over the idea of being adopted. And what does he do? He breaks forth in praise, in thanksgiving to our God. Second, the blessing of adoption should give us also cause for prayer. And I mean prayer in a very specific way. Just like Paul prays. See, after this section, what does he do? He prays. Because he knows he's presented to them glorious truth. And what does he do? He prays in light of this revelation that God would open the eyes of the Ephesians Christian so that the things that, that has been explained to them would grip them at the very deepest level. So let's praise God. Let's thank God. Let's pray, even this morning, that God would open our eyes to grasp the wonders of this glorious truth. Three, the blessing of adoption should cause us to want to become like our Heavenly Father. Later in this letter, Paul will say, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Children want to imitate their fathers, right? If your children imitate you, sometimes in ways we wish they would not, right? But our Father wants us to imitate Him. And He, unlike us, is worthy of our absolute, total imitation. And His desire is to see His image reflected increasingly in us. For the blessing of adoption should also cause us to increasingly see ourselves and live our lives in light of our connectedness to our brothers and sisters. We were not adopted as children who would go and live their little lives by themselves. It's not just God puts us in this relationship where it's, oh, I have a father. I have a father. And you there, you have your father. And you have your own little relationship with him. Rather, we are children that are part of what? One family. We are objectively connected to God because of our union with Christ. And guess what? We are also objectively united with one another. This is not something that we're going to bring about. We are one God is my father, Jesus is my brother, and therefore, you who believe in him are my brothers and sisters. And I'm forever joined with you, my dear brothers and sisters. You are stuck with me. I remember telling my wife that when we got married. I said, I'll never leave you. You see me. I'm stuck with you forever and ever. Well, on this earth. <laughs> my dear brothers and sisters, dwell on this truth this morning. 
God doesn't just bring us into relationship with Him, but we are in relationship with, with one another. Not just at Baraka, but we are connected to brothers and sisters around the world. Is this how you see yourself? How much does this reality shape you? How much does it shape me? Now you hear people say, well, stick with people of your own kind. What? Stick with people all of your own kind. And some of Christians say this. Your own kind. Maybe it is sex or economic status or race. Are we kidding? Are we kidding? We are family, brothers and sisters, if we are children of God. Oh, we could spend the whole day talking about this. And when we lose sight of that, we bring shame to our Father because we, instead of loving and caring for each other, we act like strangers. Can you imagine what it would be like for you to watch your kids Acting like strangers to each other? Can you imagine that, Justin? If your, one of your kids was hurting and the other one just walked by and ignore him. But don't we act like that? You know why? Because sometimes we fail to see ourselves through the prism of being a child of God. We allow other things. Well, I am Haitian. I am an American. I am from the north. I am from the south. I am this and I am that. Oh, I am Republican and I am Democrat. I am a progressive. Maybe not here. (laughs) See, I have to contextualize a bit. Uh, My dear brothers and sisters, you are, I am, we are children. And the implications. We could go on and on about what it means for connectedness. Number five, the blessing of adoption should also ignite in us a greater desire to make Christ known among unbelievers. This morning I was encouraged as my brother Emmanuel was sharing about how he had the opportunity to share the gospel. That the desire is in his heart to see others come to know God. We should not be indifferent to the plight of the spiritual orphans, those who are lost, those who live in this world who don't know the God whose world it is. Six, the blessing of adoption should cause us to want to reflect our Father's love, as my brother mentioned earlier, by engaging in the care of orphans. Those among us and those around the world, much was said on that earlier. Let, make God will make, let God show us what our part needs to be in this way. That would reflect His love to those who don't have earthly fathers. And lastly, the blessing of adoption should comfort us and encourage us to trust God in the midst of life's difficult circumstances. We have a Father who knows our needs and who cares for us, and who is ever ready to help us. Maybe you are here this morning, and you are contemplating the thought of thanksgiving, and you are not looking forward to it because it's a very difficult time for you. 
maybe financially, maybe illness, the loss of a loved one, maybe there's just sense of alienation, sense of being forgotten, sense of being alone, being rejected. Maybe you are here this morning saying, Father Thomas, Father, you know that very word, what it means to me. Well, if you are a child of God, be comforted by the reality that you have a Father who loves you, who had you in mind from eternity past, and who is with you now in the midst of whatever you're going through. Let's be comforted by this. Let's be comforted by the words of our elder brother who says, in this world, you will have many troubles. You will have many troubles. But what did he say? I'm going to my father's house. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. That where you, where I am one day, you will be also. This world is passing over. Our troubles are not forever. One day we're going to be in our Father's home. We're going to be with Him. We're going to be with each other. And guess what? Our adoption will be fully realized. We are His children now. But it has not yet appeared what we shall be. Our status won't, won't change. But when we are with Him, we will look just like Him. Don't you look forward to that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise You. And we give You thanks. That You, because of Your love, not because of anything in us that you sent your Son to die in our place, to pay for our sin debt, to reconcile us and make it possible then for us to be our very own children. It would have been grace if you have just forgiven us and spared us from hell. But you've done more than that. As you have brought us into your family. That you have loved us, as the song says, as you love your son. How unfathomable is your grace. Oh God, may the glory of your grace ever be displayed in this church. In our lives and around the world. Amen.